Hi everyone, I'm Joel Norman, and we're back with another episode of the Wenatchee Apple Sox podcast. And today, we're kind of changing things up a little bit. Instead of taking a look at some new members of our roster, I kind of thought we would go down a different route. I was doing something the other day that I'm sure, you know, plenty of you are probably pretty familiar with. It's just getting rid of old files on your computer. And, you know, as I was doing that, I came across some interesting file that I forgot that I had. So almost a year ago now, I had an opportunity to catch up with a former member of the Wenatchee Apple Sox. Uh, Brandon Bailey pitched for the team back in 2014, also went to Gonzaga, and not only was he really good that year, he was lights out. He started all 10 games that he pitched in, and he had a 137, I'll say that again, a 1.37 ERA in 10 games, all starts in 39 and a third innings. Now, somehow he was only 2-2 two and two that summer, and I think that was really the most baffling thing, but the Gonzaga product had a really memorable summer, and he would eventually make his Major League debut in 2020 with the Houston Astros, becoming uh, one of the Apple Sox to make his way all the way up to the majors. Now, he didn't spend the full season. Of course, that was an abbreviated year in general, and he did not pitch in the majors last year. Uh, his road to the major leagues was really interesting, and his career since his rookie season kind of has been a little quiet since then because he had to get Tommy John surgery after the 2020 year, and thus he missed all of 2020-21. Now, not only did he have to get the surgery, it was the second time that he had to get a surgery, and he also would change teams joining the Cincinnati Reds. So I talked to him a little bit last spring in the midst of his recovery. I think it was early on in the Major League Baseball season, and we talked about that recovery, his road back to the majors, and you know, what, whatever else that, you know, he had going on at the time. Trying to talk to him about his time in Wenatchee as well. So I thought I would kind of include that here on the podcast and, you know, just so you have a chance to hear about it. It was a lot of fun to catch up with him. He had great memories of playing with the Apple Sox. That, uh, you might recall, that 2014 season was the last year that Ed Nags was with Wenatchee before moving on, of course. So uh, a little bit about him as well and, just it was. It's always really cool to hear from former players, and it's also really cool when they've made it all the way to the major leagues. So, without further ado, here's a little bit of that conversation I had with Brandon Bailey, a member of the 2014 Wenatchee Apple Sox. Or post surgery, so we're uh, still in the early stages of recovery. Um, we'll have um, a follow-up appointment on March 10th to get the sutures out and then we'll start rehabbing from there. But yeah, for, so right now it's uh, just in the early stages, but we're feeling, we're feeling all right. That's not too bad. I mean, you've done this before. I, I saw you had had one in a, uh, what was that high school that you had one before? Yeah. So I had one after my junior year of high school. Uh, so that would have been almost nine years ago now. Is there a lot you remember from that? That's kind of helping you to recover this time around by chance? Um, not, I mean, not, not necessarily. It's basically the same process. The biggest difference is they took the ligament from my left wrist this time instead of my right hamstring. Uh, so I don't have to recover um, my leg this time around, which is kind of nice. I'm fully able to like move around the house and everything. It's just hard because I can't, I don't have much use of my hands right now. So that makes it a little bit more challenging, but I'm sure when it comes to the rehab starting and uh, just having that mental toughness and knowing that this is not a, it's not a sprint. It's kind of a long distance race. Um, just knowing that and having that experience prior will definitely probably help. 
uh, as we get more aggressive with the physical therapy. Gotcha. So I wanted to talk to you specifically about your time with the Apple Sox. I mean, that's what, seven years ago or so right now, 2014, you came yeah. to Wenatchee. Uh, you know, what were your first impressions when you got out here? I mean, it's kind of a place in the middle of nowhere to a lot of people. I mean, I, I came here a couple of years ago and that's how I sure felt. <laughs> um, yeah. So at the time I had just finished up my freshman year at Gonzaga University. And actually my original plan was to play for the Apple Sox um, that summer of my senior year of high school, but obviously having Tommy John surgery and recovering from that kind of threw a wrench in that whole plan. So I ended up playing for the Apple Sox after my freshman year at Gonzaga had been completed, but didn't know much about Wenatchee um, or the town specifically or uh, much about, you know, central Washington. Um, just knew that a lot of Gonzaga players had played there before had some success, um, heard it, nothing but great things from the guys that had played there previously. Um, it was a really good experience. Um, and so when I got, when I got out to Wenatchee, I thought it was really cool just because on the drive up from Spokane, you, you follow up uh, the river. I forget what river is it? The Columbia river. Columbia goes through town. Yep. Yeah. Columbia river. And just thought that was really pretty. Uh, and obviously just kind of had that like nice small town feel, uh, downtown. And then, uh, uh, just uh, had an opportunity to play with guys like Nick Brooks and Sam Brown and uh, Calvin LeBron, Tyler Frost, who were all my uh, teammates at Gonzaga, all played on that team. Um, I, um, Caleb Wood and just a lot of guys. And also getting to play with some guys that uh, played at some, some bigger schools like Drew Rasmussen at, at Oregon State and uh, Griffin Canning from UCLA. So uh, it was just my initial thoughts when I got there. It was just like, just had that really cool small town feel to it. Uh, just kind of like very blue collared esque. And uh, I thought uh, it was just kind of something romantic about it in a way, just that summer, summer collegiate baseball um, definitely had a nice little uh, impact on my life for sure. When it comes to summer, summer baseball. Yeah, you brought up uh, Drew and Griffin. I mean, they made their major league debuts. Drew made his this past season, and I think Griffin was the year before. So you were one of three players from that 2014 team already to make their major league debut. Uh, tell me about those guys. You know, how much did you interact with them? You know, were you, do you have any stories with them? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I definitely uh, yeah, I really enjoyed my time uh, just getting to play with two guys that had such a uh, high degree of talent you know, especially for those two guys coming in as incoming freshmen to their respected schools, um, just kind of getting to know them uh, and kind of hearing about what what drew them to Oregon State and UCLA respectively, um, and just kind of getting to know them as individuals. It was really fun. And also just getting to compete uh, with those guys on my team, just also kind of ranking myself and kind of viewing how I stacked up against some of, you know, some of the top tier programs in the country, you know, in UCLA and Oregon State and kind of how I, I stacked up against some of their highly touted recruits, you know, and uh, uh, really, really got to know Drew Rasmussen um, pretty close just um, from his Spokane roots, being a Spokane kid and um, just growing up uh, in Spokane, we had a lot to talk about and just in like, restaurants we liked and you know his experiences in high school and this and that and uh 
obviously Griffin too, just kind of hearing about, you know, his up, his background and coming from California and uh, being a long ways from home. And, uh, you know, obviously a really highly touted uh, recruit at UCLA, uh, very talented kid. So just being able to get to know those guys on a personal level, but then also be able to just compete with them, you know, help, help me improve my game that summer as well, for sure. Yeah, you mentioned some of the Zags you also played with. You were one of, I think I counted, six Zags on that team. And yeah. your head coach for that summer, Ed Nags, had a great connection with Gonzaga. Talk to me about Nags, because that was his last season with the Apple Sox. He's since gone on to be an assistant at Corvallis, also in the WCL. But what do you remember from Coach Nags? Um, just a really class act, um, really an old school manager, you know, a player's manager first, uh, first and foremost. Um just kind of uh, really brought the team together. And I felt like he had a really way about him of bringing all of these guys from different backgrounds, high school, college, respectfully, and, um, you know, big, big time schools like Oregon State and Gonzaga and UCLA and, you know, smaller schools with like uh, some of obviously Wenatchee Community College. Sorry, that's my dog. Um, <laughs> and uh, he, uh, but he, he had this way about bringing everybody together and making us um, become a team in a short amount of time. You know, that obviously that's uh, the, the biggest challenge when it comes to summer ball is guys coming from all these different places and not knowing each other. And then not only do we have to kind of build team chemistry, but then we also want to win baseball games too. So he, he just did a great job of making everybody feel welcome, making everyone feel a part of the team. And uh, it can also do it, do it a great job of Rachel. Um, also did a great job of trying to bring us uh, get involved with the community as well in, in the, the, the town of Wenatchee and uh, doing community service events, getting us out and meeting some of our fans and interacting with people um, was a, very, uh, a great experience as well. So really great guy, great coach, and uh, just, a, just a great human being for sure. Do you have any great memories with the fans, like your host family or anything from that year? Oh, uh, yeah. I actually still stay in contact with the Skeletons. Um, were my um, to Troy and uh, Tracy, I believe. Are there Marcy, I believe, yeah. Yeah, Marcy. Yeah, family yeah. coordinator now, actually. Really? Wow. Yeah, she's in yeah. charge of running all that. Does a nice job. That's crazy. <laughs> they're, they're nice people, though. Yeah, yeah. So that, that they, I stayed with them, and they still stay in touch, you know, with me anytime I have something big in my career. They're always reaching out, telling me they're, they're proud of me and uh, how far I've come. And it's just really nice to, like, know that, it, it was a great summer for baseball, but then also just a great summer too, just to have those memories looking back at uh, summer, summer college baseball and th those types of relationships and with the host families and some of your other teammates and the small town feel that that's what makes uh, summer college baseball so special and uh, definitely really enjoyed my time with them. Uh, they were, they were, they were awesome and house was five minutes away from the park. So it was, just nice, easy drive down to the stadium every day. And uh, uh, they, they made me feel welcome. And uh, they took really great care of me and my, my, my teammate, uh, Nick Brooks. One of the cool things, I mean, you mentioned how the summer ball experience is, uh, it's such a change in a lot of ways. I think one of the things it really does is it gives you real minor league travel experience. I'm sure that kind of helped get you ready because you didn't have yeah. to be kind of traveling the next year with the Cape Cod to the extent you would later do in the minors. Do you have yeah. any like road trip stories? I always felt like that was the best time for the team to bond, but at least yeah, I, I, I would definitely just think like the very first, 
very first trip, you know, uh, we're getting like, uh, you know, Nags hands, hands out the, the meal money for a three day road trip. And it's, we got like 45 bucks or something for three days or like $15 a day. And I'm just like calling my mom. I'm like, mom, can you like send me some money? Like, <laughs> like, I don't, I can't like eat $5 foot foot longs every single meal. You know, like I, I got to switch this up, you know? So uh, that was, that was a, a funny laugh at the time. And, you know, just like you said, that just the travel is very similar to the lower levels of the minor leagues, uh, not staying in the best the nicest hotels and, you know, riding on a bus for eight to 10 hours to get in place to place. And uh, those were, de those were definitely uh, uh, great experiences because like you said, it did help prepare me for the next level um, in my career and not being uh, so shell shocked, shell shocked, excuse me, when I got to, you know, short season single A and rookie ball and whatnot. And, uh, but just, just those memories of riding on the bus with the guys, you know, playing, playing, those uh, cards on the bus mafia and whatnot and just laughing and joking with the the, the gang and uh just uh having a good time just being just being college kids you know and just uh all, all coming together for the love of this, the game that we we play but then also uh building building friendships with people that i would have never had the opportunity to meet if it wasn't for the apple Sox and uh wenatchee baseball well, it's neat to hear that uh, Mafia has been playing on the bus for a while. That was a yeah. was a real favorite of the guys. Uh, the last time they played, 2019, I, yeah. I, I played in that a little bit. And that, that got they were they got pretty heated sometimes. Yeah. The guys, so they would kind of pin it's on that. It's definitely a staple of uh, I think just baseball travel, bus rides in general, and you know also watching just like you know goofy DVDs and movies and stuff and whatnot. Where yeah. I always made the time pass by, um, going wherever we were going. So it was, it was a really good time. Did you have a favorite road city? Yeah. The, 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 now that you mention it, I, I really enjoyed playing in Bend, Oregon. Okay. Uh, we stayed in a really cool hotel. There was like a little Creek slash river that ran right behind the hotel. So it, it was like almost like a, just like kind of a ambiance, like relaxation felt like I was at a, yeah. at a spa resort or something like that. And uh, you know, just Bend had pulled, drew a really good crowd um, I'm trying to think also my first time playing at Oregon State University was with the Apple Sox. Um, we then we went on to play them with at Gonzaga during the regular season uh, later on in my career. But being able to go to Corvallis and, you know, see, a, you know, top five program in the country every year and just kind of being at, at their stadium, I thought was really cool as well. And I think it was Yakima Valley, the Pippins first year in the West coast league. So they, they always drew really big crowds, especially when we'd go down there and play and, uh, at their, that stadium that they renovated. So I thought that was also a really cool place to play, uh, as well. Um, and then, um, and the Kelowna Falcons, uh, obviously they didn't draw a very big crowd, but just being able to go to Canada and say that I played baseball in Canada and experience a different country. That was my first time ever out of the country. So, all of those places um, were really special and unique in their own ways. Um, so there were definitely some travel trips that I, I have in my memory that I'll, I'll cherish for a long time. You know, I'm not surprised that you a pitcher saying you like Ben because the way the sun set there was out from like left field to dead center. So mm -hmm. the start of most games, you know, 630 or so, anyone 
home plate or behind can't see a thing. So, <laughs> yeah. oh, what's funny is I don't even think I pitched there. I think I think it was, we were there for it was like a three game series. I didn't pitch, but I was just goofing around in the bullpen with the guys. <laughs> and I think you know just with the cool hotel in which it was, I was just like felt like a little vacation to me and just watch some baseball and enjoy the nice hotel. But yeah, it was a, a definitely a, I just, I love Oregon um, and just the Pacific Northwest in general. It's just such a beautiful part of the country and uh, just really awesome to be able to get a get to travel to some of those smaller places, smaller mm-hmm. towns and really experience uh, what the Pacific Northwest has to offer. Sure. And you mentioned Kelowna. It's funny that the West Coast League has five teams in Canada for this coming season now. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know it was, uh, I think it was uh, the team uh, uh, Harbor Hawks or not? Harbor Cats in Victoria. Harbor Cats in Victoria, Kelowna. And then I want to say there was one more team that was in my year, but might have just been those two. I can't remember mm-hmm. exactly off the top of my head. Yeah, they got teams in Edmonton uh Kamloops and Nanaimo now so yeah, yeah uh, it's crazy now <laughs> those, those are definitely all new I haven't heard of those teams but that's really cool yeah much bigger league now 15 and all one of the things that really impressed me with uh your stats from that summer with the Apple Sox I mean it was clear you you got a lot of starts your innings were a little bit lower which is understandable a lot of people have innings limits in the summer and after the, yeah. the year you logged to Gonzaga I wasn't surprised but when yeah. I saw your stats, you only had, I think it was nine batters who you walked in 39 and a third innings. And then I looked at your career stats and at pretty much every level, you've really excelled at that. You know, what's been the key for you to, to not walk guys? Cause that's a lot of times an issue of a lot of younger pitchers. Well, yeah, I think it was just kind of growing up. Uh, even in high school, I had relatively decent command uh, of my, my fastball for first and foremost. So I think, uh, especially in the summertime, uh, not saying that the games didn't matter, but you have a little bit more flexibility to work on uh, things that you might not be able to practice in season at your respective college. So I think that that summer in Wenatchee, if I remember right, one of the things I was really trying to focus on was just fastball command and being able to, to get guys out uh, predominantly just by, you know, locating my fastball to ideal locations you know, pitching inside, outside, up, down with the fastball alone. And uh, I think that helped my command a little bit that summer because I I wanted to improve uh, not only just like being able to command my fastball, but being able to understand how to get guys out with that respected pitch. So I think that had something to do with my walk rate uh, being a little bit lower um, just because I, I was putting such an emphasis on throwing fastballs and trying to get guys out with fastballs because it's obviously, you know, it's one thing to, to be able to spin a breaking ball over with two strikes. And most of the time, you know, that that's, you're going to have more positive outcomes um, in two, two strike scenarios with breaking balls and off speed pitches than you would fastballs. But uh, to be able to try and get guys out with fastballs in two strike counts was something that uh, I think helped me because it put the hitters in a more aggressive uh, scenario as well. It's like, okay, he's coming at me here. You know, I need to swing the bat. And I think that also just helped me uh, encourage more, more contact. And people knew that I was coming right at him right from the get go um, that summer. So your journey to the big leagues has been uh, pretty crazy. I think to put it simply since, you know, getting drafted, obviously uh, <laughs> way back and then changing organizations a few times, you, you're with the athletics, you're trading to the Astros you get picked in the rule five drafts only to get returned. And now you're traded this off season. 
you know, <laughs> I think a lot of people understand that transactions are a part of the game. But yeah. for you personally, what are some of the kind of things that people might not know that goes on in that? Obviously, there's a lot of moving around. So you're probably getting a lot of apartments along the way. You know, <laughs> take me through what the process is of being traded or I guess being, you know, selected in the Rule 5 draft. Like, what's the next step for you? Yeah, it's funny. I My agent and I were just talking about this um, just the other day after I told him I need to have my second Tommy John. He's like, I swear, like, you, you've been through all of the most unique situations that a professional <laughs> baseball player can ever endure, you know, like coming from, uh, you know, being drafted in the, in the, in the middle rounds of uh, the top 10 rounds, you know, sixth, sixth round and uh, being promoted and thinking, you know, okay, we're, we got a nice thing going here with your original team. And then uh, I, after my first year and a half with Oakland, I was traded to Houston, like you mentioned, um, and it was a situation where Ramon Laureano, who's now the starting center fielder for Oakland, he was rule five eligible. And so Houston wasn't going to protect him in their, in the rule five draft. So they were like, we should trade him and get somebody in return. And um, obviously uh, it worked out for me because I got an opportunity to, to go to Houston and then be able to be a part of such a great player development uh, system, uh, especially in the lower levels of the minor leagues. Um, but to answer your question specifically, the, the one thing that is so unique about moving around from organization to organization is you have to learn, like meet so many new people all over again with every new organization that you go to. It's, it's not as simple as, okay, I, I meet my pitching coach. I meet my manager. It's like, no, I, I have to meet the, you know, the, the player development, the minor league field coordinators, you know, I've got to meet the strength and conditioning staff. Who's going to be my specific strength coach at whatever team I'm affiliated with. Who's my athletic trainer that I'm going to be affiliated with. Who's the head athletic trainer that I have to get in touch with when it comes to physicals for spring training, you know, uh, mental skills coordinators, you know, team counselors, human resources people. Like I've got to transfer over all my, my, my bank information so I can get paid. Like there's so many things about it that people don't really think about when you, when you transition from team to team. But, uh, I luckily I've had plenty of experience in that. So now, uh, this time being traded to the reds, I knew everybody that I wanted to get in contact with and why they were important and how, what was going to be the smoothest transition going from the Astros to Cincinnati. And um, so there, there's a lot that, that goes into it. And then, you know, all the other stuff, like you just mentioned, having to familiarize yourself with the new spring training complex and, you know, all these different minor league affiliates and uh, all these different towns that you're going to be living in and traveling to. And um, it's just different leagues you're going to play in. So there, there's, there's a lot of change involved, but I think that, one of the best traits you can have as a professional athlete is being able to uh, be comfortable being uncomfortable and mm -hmm. being able to adapt on the fly um, and just being able to control what you can control, which is, you know, how do I best prepare myself to compete? Even if it's a new team, new catcher, new coaching staff, new, new, new system, new everything. The one thing that matters is I got to get this guy out and how do I do that right now? You know what I mean? So uh uh, yeah, it's definitely been a roller coaster ride, uh, changing teams. But I'm really, really hoping that uh, Cincinnati uh, can be a place that I can stick and uh, I can call this place home uh, for the next, uh, you know, five, five or plus years of my career. How strange was that with the Rule Five draft? I guess that would have been what late 
2019 when you got selected by Baltimore. You're pitching in spring training a little bit. You're out there working out, and then you're returned. I mean, I I don't think a lot of people are real familiar with the Rule 5, you know, draft process, obviously. So you weren't on Houston's 40-man. Is that correct? So that's why you were able to get selected? So the Rule 5 draft is one of the very unique – rules in professional baseball in which it's basically designed to just so teams that have really talented farm systems aren't like just stockpiling talent and not not having guys move up into the big leagues like it allows other organizations who might might not have as talented of farm systems you know if a if like for the example the Houston Astros um, they're a very, very talented big league team, but they also have a very good farm system. And when it came down to uh, adding players to the 40 man roster uh, to protect them from the rule five draft, um, I was, I was obviously one of the players that was not protected. They didn't add me to the 40 man major league roster ahead of the rule five draft. So that made me rule five eligible. Um, and there's two, two phases of the Rule 5 draft. There's the Major League phase and the AAA phase. So what Houston did is when they didn't protect me and add me to the big league roster, even though I had never played in a game or an inning in AAA, they moved me from the AA roster to the AAA roster. And what that did was basically force all the other teams in the league that if they were to take me in the Rule 5 draft because I had – I was on triple a triple A roster. I had to move up a level, which means I had to be picked in the Rule Five Major League portion of the draft. Gotcha. So in order to stick with the Orioles, I would have had to been in the big leagues for the entire season. Whereas if Houston had just left me in the Double A roster, I could have been tr- taken in the Triple A phase, and then basically I would have just had to be in Triple A, which is a lot easier to do. Um, for prospects, um, you know, that don't have any major league or triple A experience. Um, so, yeah, basically I wasn't protected by Houston. The Orioles picked me in the major league phase of the draft, added me to their 40 man roster. And I went into camp uh, trying to compete for a spot on the big league team. Unfortunately, uh, there were probably a lot of different factors that kind of hindered my chances to be able to uh make that team including COVID um, but it just didn't work out and then I was returned back to Houston and basically it it stinks uh, simply because it's a great opportunity because you get this chance to potentially play in the big leagues but if it doesn't work out you're basically sent right back to where you started and what stinks about that is you know you like you miss out on those months that you could have been basically just back where you started trying to progress from where you already were with the organization you were with. Um, So when you come back, I don't want to say it feels like you're forgotten, but it definitely feels like, (laughs) all right, how do I fit in here? Like I was with this team and then I wasn't, but now I'm back and it's just a really weird situation. So uh, Mm -hmm. uh, definitely a a unique role for sure. Um, And it, it's very challenging to make the big leagues for the entire season, but for the guys that do, it's, it's a really great thing for sure. You were able to get that major league opportunity, fortunately last year. So you started the year, what at the summer camp, you were on the alternate site for Houston mm-hmm. and then you do get called up. I guess, first off, what was for people? I mean, I doubt anyone has much insight on besides the players who are in them. What was the summer camp situation like? Were you guys kind of just scrimmaging every day? That's what that media kind of made it seem like. 
Yeah. Uh, well, in my situation, it was first off, it, it just sucked because, you know, we get, you get a phone call after basically just sitting basically for the months of February, March, April, and May and into June, just like waiting and waiting. All right. When are we going to play? And then you get a phone call at the end of June. It's like, Hey, can you be down in Houston in a week? You know, it's like, well, wow, like, you know, I don't have another choice. You know, I want to play, you know? Yeah. And uh, so you just pick up life and then get down there as quick as you could. And then, you know, intake testing and COVID screening. And this was back when they, the virus was still very much active and pretty vicious and ferocious. So everyone was pretty on edge on like, okay, like, how are we going to handle this? You know, testing and, you know, quarantining and all of those protocols hadn't been really established by MLB. So uh, the MLB, the Astros and the players and the coaching staffs were all just kind of shooting blind just trying to figure this thing out as we went. So get down there. Once everyone gets their physicals and everything gets worked out, um, the alternate site where the minor league guys, including myself, had our practices where it was at the University of Houston. And then obviously the 40-man roster um, was over at Minute Maid Park in downtown Houston. And uh, basically what it was, it was uh, not, not necessarily scrimmaging every day, more so just like uh, live at, live at bats. Oh. Like for me, I got like anytime, like our, our alternate pitchers needed to throw live, we would go over to Minute Maid Park and face the big league team. And it was more so just, mm. it made sense because those are the guys that are going to be playing in a, actual games. They need as many reps and pitch pitches seen as possible. So uh, the alternate site was basically like super relaxed. It was like, you came in, you got your throwing program work in, you got your recovery stuff in, you did your strength and conditioning stuff. Hitters took batting practice, maybe filled a couple of bunts, and that was our day. It was super laid back. But any time that they needed us to go over to the big league side, obviously that was much more intense. And, uh, you know, playing in us minor league guys jumping in in the scrimmages versus the big league team. And that was also what helped me, I think, uh, display what I could do to the big league staff uh, and make the team for the opening day roster was because I did pitch so well every time that I went over there, I, I pitched very well. And I think that helped uh, me kind of plead my case for why I should be on the opening day roster and um, how I, how I could help the team, uh, especially during a time when we had some guys, some veterans go down with injuries and um, some weird COVID cases and all that stuff. So they needed guys that they felt like could come in and, you know, help them win now. And um, I was very honored that Dusty Baker and James Click and the rest of the Astros staff felt like I could be one of those guys to, to help them win right now. Yeah, Houston's pitching staff was obviously beleaguered a lot last year. They were missing some guys, hadn't replaced some, and there were injuries in COVID, like you mentioned. Take, yeah. take me back to your uh, your major league debut. How much do you do you remember from that night? I mean, you come oh, yeah. in, you get yeah. the final couple innings. Um, Take me through, like, you know, when you knew you were going to be – did you know before the game you were going to pitch that night one way or another? No, okay. I, I did not. Um, basically, you know, right from the get-go, from opening day, uh, everybody was hot in the bullpen. So I didn't know, you know, if I was going to pitch game one, two, three, four, or five, or whenever. I just knew at some point, eventually, I was going to get in the game. Um, and the first, first few nights, uh, I think the third game I got up just, like, 
briefly started playing some catch, but didn't get in the game. And then finally on the, the fourth game of the Seattle series, um, it was the, the final game of the series. Um, I, you know, was kind of hanging out, waiting, and one thing led to another. And I think we got down, I think we were losing like seven to five going into the ninth inning. And it just kind of worked itself out that um, I was able to get a full clean inning going for the top of the ninth um, to, pit, to pitch. And uh, it was just a really cool experience because it also happened to me, my, my girlfriend's 25th birthday, July 26th. So that was a pretty special thing for me because we were just joking like throughout the first couple of days. She was like, what if you got in major like major debut on my birthday? How crazy would that be? I'd be like, yeah, that'd be, that was pretty nuts. That would be pretty crazy. And then um, it didn't look like I was going to pitch. And then it just kind of worked itself out to where they were like, hey, you, you've got the ninth. So I had ample amount of time to kind of get my mind right and just kind of work those nerves out in the bullpen and got out there. And um, ironically, the first uh, hitter I ever faced in my major league career was Evan White, who uh, the previous year uh, we played, we faced off against each other a lot in double um, A in the Texas league. He was playing for the Arkansas Travelers, which is the double A affiliate of the Mariners. And obviously I was in double A Corpus Christi with Houston and, um, he was one of the better hitters in the league. So, um, I was actually in a, in a sense, I felt kind of lucky just because I was very familiar with Evan and kind of what he brought to the table. And I kind of knew how I wanted to kind of pitch to him. So that, that, that kind of in the weirdest way, kind of took some pressure off of me in a sense, cause I was familiar with the hitter I was facing and, um, through my first pitch. Um, and it was just a perfect slider that was just off and, Maldonado stuck it and he obviously was called a ball, but he kind of gave me that glove pump, like, Hey, that was really good pitch. And just from then from after throwing that first pitch, I was just like, this is just another game. Yeah. And that just gave me all the confidence in the world. Um, just knowing that my very first pitch, just having that little bit of affirmation from a big league catcher being like, Hey, that was a really good pitch. It, it reminded me how I belong here. I I'm good enough to pitch here, you know, and now, now it's just baseball, but uh, it, it was definitely something I'll never forget for the rest of my life. Cause uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, the rookie with yeah. Dennis Quaid and that, how it feels like when you, you first get on the mound and they have that camera angle and it's just like spinning around him. That's kind of what it felt like. Cause that, the game really sped up on me for a second there. And I kind of looking around and this big league stadium, this ginormous, park in which I, a kid can only dream about pitching in. And here I am uh, pitching for, you know, a team that was pitching, played in the American league championship in the world series the, the year before, you know, and mm -hmm. Altuve, Correa, Bregman, Springer, you know, yeah. all, this list goes on and on of these great players. And it's just, uh, it was just surreal. It's something I'll never forget. And that I'll cherish for the rest of my life. Was it easier pitching in a big stadium that was empty or was it almost more nerve wracking because in between each pitch, you know, you're, you're hearing everything on the field, but that was it. It was a lot quieter. <laughs> um, I, I definitely think that it was probably a little bit easier uh, yeah. just because having the experience of that, like I was talking about previously going over and scrimmaging against the Astros when I was still on the alter with the alternate site, mm -hmm. being able to pitch and it basically felt like the exact same type of environment you know, I don't want to say it was a scrimmage or that the game didn't matter, but it was definitely 
it just felt like, you know, like I was back at Gonzaga University playing in an inner squad game or, you know, just back in spring training, you know, just pitching in a, in a, in a scrimmage or something, which obviously I knew it wasn't, which, but at the same time, it helped with my nerves for mm-hmm. sure. So you got your surgery last week. You got traded back at the end of, I think it was what, last year. A lot going on. And you're with the new organization. You're doing all this stuff. And you're still recovering from the Tommy John. Let me ask you, obviously, you've got your rehab and things like that. Are you going to be able to go to any of the Reds games this season? Is that something they're kind of like, you know, Um, you would have been about, you know, AAA majors fringe this mm -hmm. season. So what do they want for you, like anything in person? Or is it kind of just, you know, keep yourself and recover? So basically, uh, these first two weeks post-surgery, I'll be back here in Colorado with my family, just resting and recovering. Um, and then they, the Reds want me to go back down to spring training in Arizona and just start rehabbing immediately at the spring training complex. And that's probably where I'll be for the next year is just in Arizona at the complex rehabbing and uh, just following the team, you know, watching on MLB.tv and you know, when they play, play on national television and whatnot. But uh, so unfortunately probably won't get to travel um, with the team just because of COVID protocols and, you know, and, you know, obviously can't, can't pitch or anything. So I, uh, I'll probably just be staying in Arizona um, in the Phoenix area. Um, but uh, yeah, so basically it's going to be a, a weird year just because uh, most, most of my life I'm used to being living in a one place for only like a couple of months at a time. And, constantly moving around, but my girlfriend and I finally get an opportunity to be in a place for an entire year um, and just settle and just take care of business and uh, rehab and get healthy. That's my number one job and priority. And uh, um, I'm just thankful to be able to have access to, you know, top, top class facilities at, you know, and the spring training complex in Goodyear, Arizona, and to have, uh, Ted, I've already established some relationships with some of the Cincinnati Reds athletic training and physical therapy staffs. Um, I, I'm very confident that um, I'll have all the resources I need in order to get back to be 100% healthy and to be the best version of myself that I can be. With all this extra time you'll have besides rehabbing, what are some things you're hoping to, to kind of do in your free time that you maybe didn't have before? That yeah, you can so- do. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm actually looking to uh, finish up my master's. Um, I'm currently pursuing my master's in sports coaching at the University of Northern Colorado, um, Greeley. It's all online, which makes things really easy on me just from traveling as much as I do. Uh, So trying to wrap up my master's program. uh, I also uh, have aspirations to read. Um, actually currently looking over at a stack of books that I'm, I'm hoping to read in the next year. Um, just a lot of baseball related books, you know, like the MVP machine, mm-hmm. future, future value, um, dollar sign on the muscle, like a lot of books that are just related to the game of baseball. Um, just because I have aspirations when I'm done playing to either be, um, you know, a coach or to be able to work in the front, op- the front office, maybe hopefully, dream scenario maybe one day be a general manager of a team um so i have a lot of stuff that i want to do just from continued education and continued learning uh from um, outside the lines and uh just spending more time with my girlfriend and hanging out with my dog and my family and uh you know just being a a normal human being um Mm -hmm. (laughs) for once uh will be a nice change of pace for sure 
Yeah, I'm sure it'll, it'll be nice, but in a way, it'll almost just help get you ready you know, to fuel you when you are ready to return to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, for sure. Awesome. Brandon, I think that's all I really had. I really appreciate you spending a little bit of time. Best of luck in the rehab and best of luck moving forward with the Reds. Hey, well, thanks for having me, Joel. This has been awesome. Very, very great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Not a problem. Thanks, Brian. Have a good one. You too. Bye.